Well, I want to spend a little time talking uh, to you further about and kind of getting into the nuts and the bolts and how to really uh, get on top of our finances in a healthy way. I spent week one talking to you all about kind of the foundations uh, of how to deal with money. And then last week, I talked about the importance of first and foremost, making the decision as a believer in Christ to honor God with your finances. And today, uh, again, we're going to dig into some of the, the detail that I think will be so critical for any person here who would like to live different, like to live better with their finances. They're will be a segment right at the beginning that I think is more applicable to people who want to get married one day uh, or, or are married, um, but I would uh, just tell you that if you're here and maybe you're kind of uh, younger right now, it's not on your mind, worrying about being married, that first segment you should still pay attention to. Obviously, again, if you are dating, maybe you think you're going to be marrying one day or you are going to be married, maybe you're divorced, but you'd like to be remarried, there's great information for you to pay attention to. So all of us, please, uh, this is, uh, I think, some of the most important detail I could give you for helping you get your resources in order. We know that uh, in this, on this topic of money, if we're just to say, uh, deal with the issue of, of married people and money, everybody understands, I think, that it can be a significant stressor on a marriage when our finances are out of order. I think we, we get that. It's a number one cause of stress, anxiety, ultimately brokenness in the marriage. I was, uh, I've had times where I've spent time ministering to couples, families. I'll hear them. Maybe they'll come straight out and talk about how money's a problem. But usually what they'll say is something like, well, money's not an issue, but we just never see each other. Because we're working all the time to pay the bills because we got a money issue. We're just dealing with a lot of stress and anxieties in our in our marriage because we're tight on money and we can't pay our bills. So a lot of times we see uh, these financial things uh, very destructive for, for marriages if we're not careful. That's why I'm going to spend some time on it. Relationships in general can get pretty fouled up over money. Heck, that, let's just talk about family. I'm talking about extended family, our blood relatives. I, I've done funerals where uh, memorials where, where the, the families are fighting over money. I've literally done funerals where they called the cops over the fights over money. I mean, it can really get messy. And so we got to get a handle on this and understand there's a better way to do this. Remember uh, at the beginning of our series, I said, there is uh, uh, something we know about money. It's neutral, but it can be used for good and it can be used for bad. Families, especially marriages, where we understand money and understand it well, you can take those resources and, it, and a marriage can be healthy because we understand how to deal with money. And money can be used for something great in the marriage and in the family and for the kingdom. But when we don't understand it, we watch as relationships crumble because we didn't, in that neutral nature of money, we didn't understand how to deal with it and things went bad in the way we handled our resources. We're going to ultimately uh, see that there is one source for truth when it comes to handling our resources. Uh, here's what it says in 2 Timothy 3 and 16. We've got Paul. I said this uh, text, uh, so much of this text is we're understanding here in Timothy. Paul writing 
to this uh, man, Timothy, to say, hey, I've been raising you up. We've been getting you ready for ministry. Uh, In week one, I said there was a great warning. Hey, Paul said to Timothy, watch out. Watch out for how you handle your money because it will affect your ability uh, in ministry. And I said in week one, these writings from Paul to Timothy, he said, watch out for heresy, people teaching the false word. And then the very next thing he said to Timothy was, if you don't handle your money well, it'll keep you from doing great things for God. And I said in, in, in the beginning of this series, here we are in 2022, Christians who would like to do great things for God with their money can't because they've handled it poorly. Here's some more advice from Paul to Timothy. It says, all scripture is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul says to Timothy, hey, don't forget, let's remember that it's God's word that is is the guiding uh, force for us. God's word, the word of God, what we use as God's uh, holy word, the Bible, these 66 books in the Bible, they're all God-breathed, God-inspired, and so if we want direction, help, correction for anything in our life, we go back to God's word for our finances. This is where we go for the truth about how to handle our resources. We go to God's word. I said in the beginning of this series, every great financial counselor, financial advisor, all of them get their tips from things that originated in the word of God. And we're just going to just take our time and go back to God's word and say, what does God's word say about this kind of stuff and really getting our finances in order. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some problems that we face with our resources and then some solutions to this as well. Here's what I put in your notes. Strapped symptom number one. So a symptom of how you and I struggle uh, in our life with, with money and resources is division and disconnection within the bounds of marriage. I mentioned my first segment really going to be dealing with, with, with some things related to marriage, but what does a marriage look like when there is division and disconnection in the marriage over how we handle our money? We know, we know what that can look like. We, we know how much of a struggle that can be. Some of you right now, you you have dealt with this. Maybe you were married before. Maybe you're in your marriage right now, and one of you thinks the money should be handled this way, and the other one thinks it should be this way. One of you thinks we should be more saving, and the other says, let's spend it. One of you says, we should honor God with our finances, and the other one says, no, thank you. And what do you do when there's that kind of friction in the relationship, we know this, it's caused by disunity, I wrote in your notes, caused by disunity of financial vision. Uh, If you're on your own right now, uh, in your life, uh, what we know is if you're not unified with God over his vision for how to handle your finances, there's going to be a mess. Because right? we know our God is a God of unified. Our God is a God of movement with him. And so if you're going one way and God says go the other way in anything in life, it's going to provide a mess for your life. Well, in marriage, what do you do now when 
two people get together who say, I got my rights, I got my hopes, I got my dreams, now we're going to get together. How How do you handle it when it's so different? Because many relationships, before they get married, don't take time to understand how they see these things in their life. When people get married, they don't talk about it either. The division and the disunity kind of begins to take over more and more and more. When you think about what God's word says about marriage, it says this for if you decide to get married and you've got to deal with finances. Here's a great reminder. Genesis 2.24 says this. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and, and is, what's that next word? And is what? United. That, that's oneness, right? To his wife and they become, there it is, one flesh. A meshing together and united together. And so, so when you get married, you have two people that have two different backgrounds, just about life, about money, about marriage, about everything, all right? She came from this background, and this is what she learned, and these are the things that affected her, and this is what she's bringing into the marriage, and oh, by the way, her hopes and her dreams and what she likes, and, and then him and his background and what he learned from his parents or didn't learn and, and how he sees money and life and all the great decisions of life. Now they're joining together. How do you get this to unify? How do you get on the same page? And does anybody in the marriage actually understand that we are to be united and one together? Does anybody in the marriage even understand that we're united with God in the marriage? See, all of this comes back to our understanding of how God sees our life, how God sees marriage in general. I I put this reminder in my notes. It's not in yours, but I always say here at our church, as we think, so we do. And as we do, so we become. As you think about money, right, it affects your outcomes. It all starts with your thinking. Well, in the marriage, as you think together about your resources, so you will do and so you will become. But too many marriages today aren't in agreement with how to handle some of the most basic and critical steps within the marriage, the most critical things that we should be talking about. How do you get to commonality? How do you get to common goals? How do you get to saying, okay, together we're on the same page? I I wrote this in your notes. Freedom is ultimately going to be found in unity. Not just giving in and letting the other one dominate. Not just saying, well, you know, I guess it'll never happen for me and my dream for our finances and the family. No, it happens when we decide to have unity. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10 says this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and there will be no divisions among you, but that you might be perfectly united in mind and thought. Here's Paul, his challenge here. He's saying, hey, brothers and sisters in Christ, we we should be unified. We should be together. We should be moving in the same direction together. That's just a challenge to believers working together. So then what what should it be in the marriage? And it should obviously be deeply unified as we mesh together and become one together. I I wrote in your notes, uh, division limits the work of God in our home. 
But when the home is unified with God, especially financially, it opens up the floodgates for blessings for God to do a work in the marriage, even in, of course, in your finances. We're unified with God together, moving together. You're here today, you're single, you're thinking maybe one day you'd, you'd like to be married. Well, you wanna make sure they, they understand this one flesh sort of mentality that God gives us with marriage and you wanna understand that you're gonna be on the same page when it comes to the area of finances. You're unpacking this, you're, you're taking time to, under, to understand it, the scriptures tell us. Jesus said, where two or three or more are gathered in my name, there I will be also. If you want God doing great things in anything, there's a unity that's a part of that. Being united with God, being united in the marriage. And if you want better blessings inside the home, we're flowing together. Is that happening in your home now? Is everybody in agreement with the tithe? Is everybody in agreement with budgeting, savings, how much debt we have or don't have or should have or shouldn't have? This is why many relationships, ultimately, this is why many marriages struggle. We've got our differences of opinion and we've never taken time to see the importance of uniting that together. Let me give you some unity helpers before I move on to the next strapped situation. Unity helpers, here's one, time. It takes time to build unity. It takes time to, to build that together. I, I, I'm just on my own. I'm in a time of just continually this unification flow just with my heavenly father. And then in marriage, your 26 years of marriage, there's time has brought unification more and more into the marriage. And so some of this is just simply uh, time, time together, time learning one another. Uh, if you decide to get married one day, one of the greatest resources a church will offer you is something called premarital counseling, where we spend time together understanding some things about one another. We offer that here at our church, and I've done some of those in the past. One of the things we talk about is how do you view money in this area, this area, and this area? How do you view money in this? And, and so did you even know that you looked at money differently and kind of bringing us into a more unified approach before we even say, I do? Everybody's so focused when they get married on the wedding day. All their energy and all their time goes into the wedding day. And very little time goes into talking about what we're going to be unified on. We spend time in those premarital conversations talking about a lot of things. How are we going to, how do we see, how do we see uh, raising our children? How do we see discipline? Now, all these things we, we begin to address and it's just spending time together. And, and so we could have a scenario where when people say, I do, they move on this journey of agreements. They build on one agreement to the next agreement, and they're doing that, and they're set out on the right foot on their marriage. Or we can have what we get so much in our culture today is two people in the same home, but clearly not united on key topics. And when I talk about time, I'm talking about real time so that you can have the next thing that I put in your notes, conversations. Time and conversations. I, I, just because you're in the same home doesn't mean you're actually dealing with issues. We can be in the same home and one person's on Facebook and the other's Netflix and it's like, 
hey, we're a little behind on the bills. All right, that's not conversation. That's just passing. That, that's not bringing unification. I think in this chaotic world that we're in, we have a lot of people who just, they're not talking to one another. I'm talking about face-to-face, sit-down conversations. I look you in the eye, and when we start talking about money, I see your facial expressions, which tells me a lot. Your body language, your uncomfortability. I'm watching, I'm, I'm unpacking some of your views and how you see situations and your goals and your dreams. I'm, I'm conversing so that I can know more about your heart and your desire, and nobody's doing this. I mean, I say nobody, a lot of people aren't in the home. It's always just in passing. And then here's a third key to all of this, and this can be seen as kind of a bad word when it comes to marriage. Let me explain what I mean here. Compromise. Or you might say learning to honor the other person in the marriage. We spend time together. We converse, and there's going to be things we're going to understand that, that maybe they want for that way money's handled, maybe they dream for that we don't, and I'm willing to set my, my sort of thing, my views or my wants and my desires aside so that they can have what it is that they are craving for, a willingness to merge together and, and, and mesh together, whatever it takes. I was, I was thinking about this just with men in general, and I work with men a lot. And One of the things I tell men that they rarely do is they, they rarely sit down and ask their spouse, what are your dreams for life? A man is on this mission. He's trying to accomplish all his wants, all his dreams, all his desires, and he just kind of pushes it on the family and says, this is where we're going. Have you ever taken time to just ask her, where would she like to be in 10 years? What are her dreams for where the family is in 10 years, where the finances are? What are her dreams for savings, how our resources should be handled? And when we start having these conversations, uh, healthy marriage, a man has some occasions where he says, okay, I get it. Like there's some things I've been wanting, but she sees it differently. And so how do we work together? And we find little agreements again, and we build on them and build on them more and more instead of just dominating and say, this is the way it's going to be. Or two people going in their separate directions. We've got to find unity. We've got to sit down and find agreements. Men can be very uncomfortable talking about getting finances in order. Women can be as well. We push past those fears and we find unity. Here's the next strapped symptom in your notes, disorganization. We're in a complex world and uh, there's a lot of information coming at us all the time. It's, it's more than ever before. What's interesting, and I've ser- shared this before, we, are, we have now in our culture today more organizational resources at our fingertips than ever before. Every device these days that you have in the palm of your hand, mobile devices, they almost all have a calendar on them. Uh, we have more calendaring and organizational things that we can get our hands on today than ever before. And yet, it seems like in many cases, we're more disorganized than ever before. Uh, we, we, especially in our finances, we don't take time to find organization. And so we get frustrated, we get argumentative, we get stressed out, 
uh, where you're kind of going in circles, doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result, and we're not going to get a different result because we are still in a phase of disorganization. We don't understand what's going on with our money. We don't have a process for how to handle our money. We don't have a process for good, serious decision-making on how to spend, expend our resources, and been there. I've lived that, and many of us have. Some of you are right now, but here's what Jesus says in Luke 14 and 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. You have a lot of plans in life, but if you don't have it organized and know this is how it's going to go, it's kind of like, oh, <laughs> what were you doing? It's a mess. You don't have to live that way. Jesus is saying right here, like, let's get it, let's count the cost. Let's spend some time organizing. Let's know what it is that, that God is revealing to us about how to handle our resources. If you're single, uh, you allow the Holy Spirit of God to convict you, to get organized, to convict you to how to handle your resources, and then you start organizing it, and he convicts you on better decisions on how you handle your money. If you're married, again, unifying together with your organization, letting the Holy Spirit of God in the oneness of the marriage guide you into the best decisions, how to handle your money, being empowered through planning and preparation. Hear me. We do not serve a God who is a God of chaos. We serve a God who's a God of order. We serve a God that is a planner. We serve a God, listen, that honors preparation. And so this scattered mentality, hoping it'll all work out at the end of the month, that's not how God operates. And you shouldn't either. If you plan to fail, or if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Let me give you uh, some key helpers when it comes to organizing. Here's the first one in your notes. Create and live within a budget. You set up a budget. And you get that budget in, in order. Now, when I talk about a budget, I'm not talking about, I've said this before, I'm not talking about where you get like two sticky notes for the month. And you say, here's a few bills and here's our money. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a detailed budget that knows every single dollar that you're going to spend and plans for unplanned costs. Plans for planned costs, down to the things like oil changes for your car and potential repairs and taxes and insurance and all the extra little things that may come up and those bigger bills as well. And it's put into a, 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 a format in which you can see every little dollar that needs to come in because you're planning for every single dollar that's going to go out. Did you know that in America today, only one out of three households operates on any kind of budget? What is it for the Christians? It may not be very good. We're called to live in order. But we don't. And many times in the marriage or the household, we don't know what's coming in and going out. Uh, now, 59% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck because they don't really have a plan for what they're doing with their, with their resources. Here's the next thing uh, in, in your notes. Create and live within a plan that decides to pay off debt. Because we know you are oppressed, you are suppressed when you are in debt, and you can't operate in life the way that you want to, you have to decide 
together, if you're married, separately, if you're not, that I'm gonna do, we're gonna do what we need to do to get a handle on our debt situation. I mentioned before that so many people wanna be generous. They wanna help others, but they feel like they can't because they're too far in debt. And I addressed that in week one. I'm, I'm gonna let you hear in just a moment a testimony from a couple who figured this out. They were thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in debt. And you're gonna hear their story here in just a moment. But getting out of debt is going to be, is going to be key. And then here's the next one. In your budget, you're planning for future expenses and savings. Saving for a rainy day, saving for the future, saving for retirement, save, save, save but also planning what your expenses will be again throughout the year. And then this one, you're going to plan your giving. How you're going to honor God and you put it in your budget. And it's the top line. Because remember, we said the first is the best and I can't be open-handed if I start out the month closed-fisted. And so we talked about being open-handed in, in, in our resources and, and so for my household, the top line is the tithe. I do that first and foremost. It's not the last. It's always going to be the first. What you'll find is many financial advisors over the years will share something like this. Even the non-believers, they'll say something like this. They'll say, when it comes to a budget, use the 10-10-80 principle. Give 10, save 10, live off 80. Here's the problem in America today. We're trying to live off not 100, 110. We don't even have enough with the 100 and we're borrowing more. This is the problem. But most, you have to hear me, most people great in financial world will call it the 10, 10, 80. I'll tell you this, if you've got debt, it's gonna look more like 10 for giving, 10 for savings, and 10 for paying off debt, starting to learn to live off 70% or maybe 60%. This is how people who are in a mess decide to get their finances in order right away. Now, I hear some of you, you're going, this doesn't even sound possible. Again, I'm going to give you a video in just a second. But, you know, a lot of this is found, the answer to this is found in a little teaching that we do here at our church, Financial Peace University. And every week of this series, I've been offering everybody an opportunity to say, hey, you come to a little two-hour seminar in two weeks. It's two weeks from today on December the 4th, a little two-hour free gathering. We've been inviting people every single week to just kind of get this information. If you're married, I said, make sure you bring your spouse as well uh, so that everybody's unified and on the same page. And you bring, and we sit and we get the information. We're giving you a little two-hour helper on this. Now, I will say, the real change happens when people decide to go from that two hours and get involved in our intensive that starts in January. It's going to last about it's once a week and it's going to last a few months. But if we just wanted to get some resources in your hands right away during this series. And so on December the 4th, if you are interested in getting this information, coming here to the church, having a gathering, write FPU on the back of your connect card, circle it, drop it in the buckets when the buckets pass in just a little bit and uh, we will get in touch with you and remind you about this opportunity coming up. This is interesting. Coming into the weekend, they told me, hey, Pastor Gary, 162 people have written FPU on the back of their Connect card in the first two weeks of this series. And I was like, man, that's awesome. I love that. I love that. Can I just tell you statistically what we've seen over the years when we do these little uh, money helper things? If we had 160 people sign up, 30 come. 
because fear sets in, busyness sets in, disorganization takes over, disunity consumes us. So I'm gonna tell you, push past that and decide to be here and be a part of that so that you can get this information that we've been wanting to get into your hands. About being generous and giving, I love what it says in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse six. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. This is why uh, giving and, and returning to God is the first line item on my budget because I want everything else to flow out of generosity. I want to reap goodness in that I've sown. I want to start out my budget in unity with God so that I can have the blessings over my finances related to me honoring him. And so I want to sow into my finances generously. But then it says, each of you should give as you've decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Yes, God loves a cheerful giver. The key to it is found at the beginning of that sentence. It says, decide before, decide. Each of you should decide in advance. And when I've decided in advance, not when I arrive on the scene at the church, but when I've decided in advance, I am much more cheerfully giving than when I, in a compulsion moment, have like, oh, crud. That's why planning affects the joy of your finances in, in general and in your giving. So you plan it in advance through budgeting. And one of the things I've been challenging you to do in this series is, is to be obedient in this area of returning to God, being generous in your life. And every week of this message, I've, this series, I've put on your seats a little card that looks like this. And it has two, I'm asking you to take two specific steps uh, of obedience beyond being a part of Financial Peace University. It's on this card. And we've been having people every single week taking steps. We, we're, we're over a couple hundred steps now in two weeks uh, with uh, this, this card. Some of you haven't yet, and so I'm going to challenge you again today to say cross over that line of obedience and start trusting God with your resources. The top half is a step there. If you take that, there's a little box, the 90-day tithe challenge. You to check and say, I'm taking that step. What is the 90-day tithe challenge? Been talking about this each of the weeks of this series, but maybe you haven't been here. 90-day tithe challenge is God says, trust me in your, in your resources. He literally says that, test me. And so we're gonna give you an opportunity to test God. And over 90 days, if you, and the first of every single income, you take off the top that 10% return to God, and you do it for a full 90 days in an obedient way, if after 90 days you don't see that God took care of you like he promised, and blessings happening around you with people's lives trans being changed, the message of Jesus Christ because you're supporting the work of the church, or blessings in your own life, after 90 days, if you don't see any of that, come back to us, and we'll refund you the entire amount. We'll just hand you a check back for what you gave. And we don't have any problem doing this because... It always, God shows up every single time. And we're just moving you, kind of giving you an opportunity to move over that line of obedience and doing exactly what God's word commands the believers to do. And then the second step is the greatest gift offering. 
And that is our Christmas offering to help our Christmas services go smoothly. And we've had lots of people taking part in this as well. On the back, there's a place for you to say, here's my pledge for what I'm going to do. And if you will um, check the, whichever pledge line you can do, you can give over several weeks, a little bit a week, a little bit a week, do it over seven or eight weeks, that's no problem. But we ask you to pledge and say, this is how we can help in the process. And we've had people doing this every single week. A couple things about this. Uh, coming into the weekend, we had over 140 people take the tithe challenge alone, and I celebrate that. That's awesome. Yeah, we can clap for that. But coming into the weekend, only 19 of those 140 had made their first gift or return. So you can say you're going to take a step of obedience, but you, you, there's one more step to take and to actually do it. And so if you haven't, don't forget, there's a QR code on the back of this little card that you can scan on your phone, take you right to our giving site so that you can begin that journey. Uh, also, a little reminder, if you're taking a step today, take that card out of the sanctuary on the right-hand side. There's a little place to drop this in the box on the right-hand side and say, this is my gift, this is my pledge, this is what I'm doing to honor God during this season. And there's a place for you, again, to check whichever decision you're making. And for everybody that takes at least one step in this series, we're inviting you to a special worship night where we're gonna just gather before Christmas and just get ready and prepare our hearts for what God's gonna do at Christmas at New Walk. If you've already dropped one of these in the box and you have not gotten a response via email, let us know on the right-hand side where those gift area is and those boxes. Uh, let us know. We'll make sure we are getting that information into your hands. We'll make sure we have a good email address for you. Uh, again, if you're taking that step here this weekend and you give us a good email, we will make sure we invite you to that special gathering coming up in just a couple of weeks. Here's the third thing I put. Strapped symptom. Stuff will bring me satisfaction. And we live in a culture today where even the Christians are running around going more and more and more will make me happy. But you've got to come to a place where you finally realize that it's not going to be about any of that that's going to bring you the permanent joy that you're looking for. Throughout human history, this has been a problem for humanity. It's not just you. It's not just 2022. In fact, going all the way back to the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments, we get instruction from God to say, hey, watch out. Watch out. It's going to be a problem. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy 5.21. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desires on your neighbor's house or land, male, female, servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. What is God saying? He's God saying to you and I, let's go back to what we talked about in week one. Watch out for envy. Because when you get yourself into a position that you want stuff that you weren't supposed to have, when you want stuff to make you happy, when you want stuff to fulfill the desires of your heart that you can't even afford, a problem is going to ensue. And here we are today, still, in the year 2022. We think stuff and things and money and activities is all going to be the final, the next thing, I know it, the next raise, the next career, the next activity, the next vacation, that's going to be the quencher. And then it doesn't. And we talked in week one about how money shines so beautifully on the surface. Possessions sparkle. 
and we get them. And on a moment, sure, just like everything with Satan, in a moment, it feels good. But then it wears off and we're left with what we're left with. The bills, the car that's not so new smelling anymore, the home that needs the repairs and all the things that come with that. So we have to understand that this is the kind of stuff that will stress us out, bring anxieties, bring messiness into our homes, into our marriages, into our families. And so the main point of this that I want to share with you is that freedom is always going to be found knowing that only Jesus satisfies. He is the quencher for your soul. And some of you as believers, you need to come back to this where you understand, oh my goodness, I've gotten away from some things, but he's the one that quenches it all. And I've got to seek him more deeply in all of this. And when I get that right, it's foundational for everything else I'm trying to do with my money, being unified with God and seeing him as the one that brings all of the satisfaction into my life. Uh, John, John 14 and 27 says, Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you what the world gives. Now, I, I'm, Jesus says, I'm offering you a, a level of satisfaction that's nothing the world can offer. No possession, no money, will ev you'll ever be able to find it. It comes in the peace that I am leaving for you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. There's not going to be uh, this need to dig into money and resources to find that satisfaction brings fear and troubles into your life. When it starts, when everything starts with Jesus being the satisfier, it becomes the game changer for your finances and for your future. I mentioned before a testimony of somebody in our church, maybe you're here, you're like, man, I don't even know. I don't, the money was strapped, really, Pastor Gary. We, you're talking about 10, 10, 10, 70, or 10, 10, 80. That's just not, that seems so foreign to me. Honoring God with the first and the best. Watch this video of the Kyles. Check it out. Hi, my name is Nathan. This is my wife, Megan, and we're the Kyles. One of our things in our wedding vows was that I would take her to all the Halloween events. So one of the events that New Walk was doing was trunk or treat. And um, we, we attended that and we really enjoyed it. And that's when I think we found our church home. Uh, a couple weeks later, it was, it was on baptism night and how he said that if you have never made that decision before in your life and you're ready to start following God and, and believe in Christ, uh, then to come on down, doesn't matter what you were wearing. Um, I remember I was wearing a Bucks jersey and some jeans and uh, I was like, I'm going. And I looked at Megan, I said, I'm going. So a few months after Nathan got baptized, um, it wasn't on my heart um, because I had been baptized as a child and then rededicated as a teenager. But through one of Pastor Gary's messages, I realized that I did need to uh, publicly announce that I was a follower of Jesus. And in early January, a couple months after Nathan had um, gotten baptized, I decided to also get baptized. Um, and then I believe it was one of the messages that Pastor Gary had talked about shortly after um, as far as uh, providing uh, tithing and giving 10%. And uh, we were we were uh, in debt, we had a lot of debt. Um, it was a point where as long as we could afford the monthly payment, we uh, went ahead and bought it. 
after a few purchases, um, we, uh, we started to realize that we were in over our head. Once we decided to take that step in, in, in tithing, we, we were like, let's, let's just give it a shot. It was a 90-day challenge um, that, that Pastor Gary and the church was putting on, and we, we decided to give it a chance. And, and then that was when um, I went on Wild at Heart. And going on Wild at Heart uh, really changed my life um, to the point of where I realized that I was a workaholic and I was worshiping those earthly things and not giving it all to God. And I um, came back from that trip and we made a lot of changes. When I came home, I, um, I needed to realize and look into a different career. And even though I'm not uh, making the money I was making before, um, taking almost a 50% pay cut uh, in, in this new career, uh, we were still able to do that $65,000 in debt since the beginning of the year. Um, and, and now uh, we're breaking generational chains. Being able to see our debt-free date um, and, and know that it's just a, a short year away. We'll be completely debt-free outside of our, our mortgage. Um, and that's something that if you would have asked us before, we would have never even thought about being a debt-free. I think if you're, you're reluctant to tithing, um, I think that the 90-day challenge is just an amazing way to to just start it. Yeah, and I think he's just waiting for you to, to let go of control and really just allow him to work on you. And you'll be surprised at what he's going to show up and do for you. What a great, great story from the Kyles. I heard a lot. A lot of things in that video, I, I, I heard a family that came from Trunk or Treat and that outreach that we do. So thank you, New Walk, for caring about that. I, I hear about a family that's, uh, especially Nathan, fairly new to the faith and quickly decides to start honoring God financially. Uh, I see a, a guy who says uh, things are out of balance in my home and he takes a 50% pay cut so that he could be more present in his home and all the while, honoring God, less money, paying $65,000 in debt off. Folks, don't come at me and say it can't be done. It's another example. It's you deciding to actually get organized and take the steps. Maybe you're reconsidering the tithe challenge now. Maybe you're reconsidering financial peace university, taking those steps. First Timothy 6 and 6 says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. For if we have food, clothing, we will be content, there it is, content, satisfied with that, that my soul has been quenched already. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation. We know that, and a trap and many foolish, harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. I shared this part of the scripture in week one. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith, pierced themselves with many debts, financial messes. So we're coming back 
the fact that Jesus is the quencher for contentment, that he satisfies, and that he is the answer and the beginning to all of this. Let's pray. Lord, right now we're reminded, God, that you are the answer to all of this. There's man's ways, and then there's your ways. God, I'm praying you continue to re- continue to reveal in this series some truths for our church, things that we need to be reminded of. God, I'm praying for steps of obedience now. Father, we give thanks for those who are about to also uh, worship with their tithes and offerings. We honor that. We, others that have given during the week, we give thanks. God bless what we're about to receive now in Jesus' name. Amen.